good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to the Voice of the Valley. Really enjoyed last week's podcast. Yeah. From the road. From the road. Oh, no, no. It was supposed to be from the road. It was supposed to be from the road. Yes, Rick, I get it. How is the the internet in Montana? Uh, Montana's internet's not great in certain locations, uh, particularly in a little town called Hungry Horse, so... I bet you the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill has something to help with that. (laughs) Probably. You just went at the wrong time, my friend. How was your trip? Yeah, it was good. This is Jeremy, by the way, and Pastor Rick. Sorry. He jumped in real quick. My bad. No, that's okay. No, it's good, man. Yeah, we had a good time. We have uh, some stories that that, uh, will last through the ages. The student ministries trip. Student ministries trip. Brought minors with you (laughs) on a trip. Yes. To Montana. Yes. Where you were stuck. Stuck where? With them. I, well, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we yeah, had they're a... Good, they're good people. We had a uh, student ministries trip to Glacier National Park. Love Glacier. Um, and the kids did awesome. We had a group of kids that uh, hiked 60 miles. That's insane. 60 miles. Over the course of... Six days. Wow. I think six like hiking days, five hiking days maybe. So, yeah. I heard one of them had an Apple Watch, and she logged like thirty three thousand steps on one of those hikes. Yeah, yeah. So we had a we had a twenty miler in a day. Whoa. Yeah. So, they they crushed it. They absolutely crushed it. That's awesome. So. Any uh, any crazy stuff happen? Um, we had bear spray go off in the van. Are you serious? Yeah, I didn't tell you that one. Um, <laughs> bear spray went off in the van uh, on that 20-mile-hour day. Why did it go off? Um, so we were so we had to get up early because um, everything is like an hour and a half away from you know where we were where we were camping at. So we got up early, and we got up and over the going to the Sun Road, um, and we're about to pull into our parking spot, and all of a sudden. Uh, one of the students who shall remain nameless. I have names. I mean, I was going <laughs> to. Uh, starts yelling from the back. Like, okay. like open the windows, open the windows. <laughs> and like very loud and very like frantic. Uh-huh. And I'm like, dude, everybody farts. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Like chill. <laughs> like it will go away. So we roll down the windows. And uh, oh my word! And then he starts like, open the doors, open the doors, <laughs> and uh, stop the car, stop the car. So so finally we pull off, and it just so happens to be our pull off, like our oh our my word parking spot here. And so I get out of the car, and I forget to unlock the door, and I go around and I open the back. I'm like, what is going on back here, guys? And they're still locked in the van. Um, and so finally they get out and they start tumbling out and, you know, they're coughing and hacking up along and crying and all this other stuff. Well, like crying? Yeah, like, oh. not like. Oh, no, not, not like weeping because yeah. you called them a name. No, because bear spray got in their bear eyes. Oh. Yeah, so uh, one of the students who also shall remain nameless um, uh, had his bear spray out and accidentally. Uh, unclicked it and a little bit of it went off. Um, oh my word! So that, I, I mean, I have a ninety-five percent certainty of who that is, and we'll have to get off mic and confirm yeah. that. <laughs> so that happened. Oh my! Um, 
Everybody farts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So we had a we had a good day that day. Um, Did you? I mean, why in the world would you have bear spray? Uh, because there's bears. There's bears there. There's bears in Glacier. Really? Yeah. So towards the end of the trip, oh, uh, one of our last hiking days, uh, we went up and over the pass again um, to this place called Mini Glaciers is the starting point. Um, and we saw a big, big grizzly driving down with eaten berries. And then we saw a few more on the road as we were driving. Well, we started grizzlies. At- uh, I'm not sure about the other ones. The first one for sure was a grizzly. Wow. Okay. Uh, the other, the other two that we saw, I don't. I think they were fugitive refugee polar bears, probably because of the climate. Yes, yes, they made their way south to Glacier National Park. Yes. Um, and so we started this hike, and our group split off. So one group was going to this lake. This other group was going up to this glacier, and we hear all this hooting and hollering coming down the trail. Meaning that there was there was a party. A, there was a yeah a party, and so our group stops steps off the trail, and everybody's people are like almost at a slight jog down the trail, which you're not supposed to do if you come in contact with the bear. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of push our group into this bigger group of people who are coming down the trail, and there's a little black bear that was coming down, running down towards us, and uh, well, that's coming so yeah. What, so what are you supposed to do when you see a bear um, coming towards you? Well, it depends on what what kind of bear it is. Okay. Um, what if it's a refugee polar bear? That is that's a mystery. Nobody I don't, knows yet. Nobody knows. Al Gore knows. Yeah. Um, well, what what about a black <laughs> what about a black bear? Well, so black bears are supposed to get kind of big and loud, and so this was a little 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 black bear. He was probably like three or four years old. So okay. So we just started making a bunch of noise and, and kind of walking the bear down the trail. Um, and yeah, we have some video of it and it's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty funny to watch. Um, but yeah, that was one of our experiences. I, you know, I think God sent you that bear. I think he did too. So that you could eat your words. Because I do recall before you went asking if you wanted a bear sick to take my stick <laughs> and you said you, you actually spoke got this out. disparagingly of my stick this my shillelagh which i keep in my trunk which can break concrete um or yeah and i just said kind of wondering do you wish that you had had my stick which incidentally is better than bacon uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what that means but you know um, what it means uh this is this is great. This Would have been great. handy with a bear because that there was I saw some of that footage and he wasn't you know he was not submitting to the hooting and the hollering or the well, authoritative commands to stop sit. <laughs> well, so Luke Luke Vickers was on this trip and um, so he gets real polite with bears when he sees them. <laughs> Uh, so he's such a gracious man. He is a very gracious man. So there's a lot of like, no thank yous. <laughs> no thank you, bear. No thank you, bear. Please go down the trail, bear. A lot of stuff like that. Oh my goodness. So, I love it. Yeah. That's, I'm glad you're back in one piece. Yeah. No, that was, that was a lot of fun. We had a good time and, um, yeah, it's good to be back. Cool. So, well, you didn't retaliate against the bear. I felt like it. I felt yeah. like it. But you would have been really, really convicted. 
if from I did, this last Sunday Sunday sermon, if, if you had retaliated it, against that bear, if I punched it in the face, yeah, because that was my plan. If you get mauled on the right cheek, turn turn to him the other also. <laughs> yes, yes, I did not retaliate um, because he did not strike me first. But we are talking about retaliation in your your sermon on Sunday, which was oh, are we? Very good. Oh, thank you. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thanks be to God. Um, and how were you convicted, Rick? I was <laughs> I convicted. Well, <laughs> I, on the other hand, did hit a bear. So there's this guy that I know who works with another guy. Um, let's call him Richard. <laughs> Richard. Um, no, but you had you had uh, four, five different items of, of like, things to be to to retaliate against like personal yeah there were like four examples that jesus uses yeah and what were they again um well let's see there's the the personal insult see if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turned in the other also there's personal uh litigation if anyone would sue you and take your tunic let them have your cloak as well personal service if anyone forces you to go one mile go with them too and then personal property Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And all of this is in contrast to the way that that the scribes and the Pharisees, the rabbis, had you know had distorted the principle of justice for the legal system. Yeah, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Yeah, and turned it into a license for personal vengeance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the slap on the cheek, as you mentioned on Sunday, was was what. It was an it was a really significant insult. Okay. Like if you really wanted to, um, if you wanted to to get somebody to insult them in a way that was so bad that even the people who were on your side of the argument would go, oh, they would cry foul. Yeah, you would do this. You know, you would, you know, if you were right handed, presumably because most people were right handed, and I think still are, um, they would reach across their their body and give a sharp slap to the person's right cheek. With their backhand. As an insult. Yeah, with their backhand. Okay. Yeah. And so how does how does personal insult play into today? Is that is it an actual backhand slap or is it more just like a uh, somebody saying It's just pretty much what, what's going on um, between politicians and people on different sides of the culture wars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. Insulting is just... It's re- and even nasty, really nasty insults. It's just like bread and butter. Yeah. Today we don't do it with slaps. You know, you can get charged with assault for doing that. Yeah. Um, but you c- but it definitely happens. Yeah. So I have this guy that I work with, um, who is constantly making personal insults to me oh. or about me. Um, That's who be shall hard. remain? In- <laughs> no, but so if somebody comes up and is personally don't be an idiot. Don't. <laughs> Um, you know, per- personal insults are, are the easiest things that we can like quickly respond to oh, yeah. without thinking. Yeah. Oh yeah. We don't. Um, yeah. That's natural. So how do we, how do we handle personal insults with grace? How do we, how do we stop and just not blurt out the first thing that comes to our minds? So the heart. Okay. So a, a principle we've seen a ton in the Sermon on the Mount is that, from the heart come the issues of life. Yeah. And that includes our words, our attitudes, our actions. These are all springing up from our heart. Um, sometimes I think of the heart like a sponge. 
um, it's filled with a lot of stuff potentially that you just can't see. But if you push down on it and apply pressure, it starts to ooze what's in there mm-hmm. that you just didn't see before. In those moments when we are insulted or caught off guard and made angry, what's in our heart, it gets pressed out reflexively. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's just part of what happens. And so we can't always, we, we often can't anticipate what's going to happen. And then we respond and don't think about it till afterward. Yeah. And if that's the case, then, the, then it's not, okay, how will I respond in XYZ situation? Because if you plan for X, Y, Z, um, you know, RST is going to come along, which you didn't plan for. You just can't see it coming. Yeah. Something's going to happen that you don't see coming. The, what we want to do is change our, you know, have our hearts changed, which only comes through the gospel. Mm-hmm. And as believers who have believed the gospel, who have new hearts, who have a new nature um, through the the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit and the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we want to be regularly staying close to the Prince of Peace, and the result will increasingly be making peace. Yeah. So blessed are the peacemakers, who, when they are insulted, reflexively instead of lashing out, are have been daily meditating on the grace of God through the Scriptures, communing with the Lord in prayer being transformed when there's not as much pressure being applied. Sure. So that in those moments when the pressure is applied, what comes out is what we've already been filling our hearts with anyway, which is grace. Yeah. And that's basically, that's just how sanctification works. Yeah. Is we have these normal means of grace that we take advantage of day after day. And on any given day, it may not seem that important that I get up and pray. On any given Sunday, it may not seem that essential that I go to church, but... If you faithfully show up to to honor the Lord day by day, routine after routine, what happens is the kind of transformation that manifests itself when you least expect it. Yeah. And those are the times you look at and you go, wow, praise be to God. I'm not the man I was. Yeah. I'm going to take ownership for how I still screwed up in response because I'm probably going to. However, it's not what it would be. And then eventually, you know, and it becomes more like Christ. Yeah. So, um, how does that play into when, uh, like when we're tired? Cause it seems to be like, for instance, when you're married, uh, you can get, you can get tired when you have kids, especially have kids mm-hmm. and all that stuff that, you know, husband and wife will get in arguments and, you know, I'll say something or my wife will say something. It's easy to just respond. Oh yeah. How do you, how do you handle situations like that when it's not necessarily a personal insult, but it's more just a... Uh, lashing out of the tongue, I guess. Uh, those are the hardest ones because that happens, you know, a lot more regularly. Yeah, it's interesting. We have a lot more self-control in our responses with people we don't live with. Yeah, and I kind of think of it like, when do you take off your shoes? When you go in your house, you know, when you're at home. So you wear your shoes out of the house all day long, and it, there's kind of a buffer there between yeah. you and all the sharp little rocks that, or whatever things are in the ground that you don't even see yeah but then when you get home you go hi i'm home let my guard down take the shoes off and it takes a lot less to irritate your foot and cause you to respond and that's that's the way it is with the people that we live with and love the most is we oftentimes let our guard down and so i think there the hap- you know 
the habits of grace are the same, mm-hmm. right? There's only one Lord with whom we commune through prayer, through meditation on scripture. But um, looking at how that stuff plays out in our marriages and in our parenting can highlight to us those areas that we need a special focus on. And I think one of the most helpful things we can do is never waste an argument. Hmm. Never waste sin. Okay, Once you've sinned, you've sinned. You can't take it back. But what you can do is you can refuse to ignore it and just move on. So if you do the hard work of disciplining yourself to humbly go to the person you've snapped at mm-hmm. and ask for forgiveness, even when you don't feel like asking for forgiveness, that is just, it helps you to not harden your heart and normalize sin. Yeah. And enough of that gets really irritating to a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, I'm super tired of having to apologize in these same circumstances for the 10th time this month or whatever the case may be. He goes, I think I'm going to actually meditate on some scripture. Maybe I'll memorize a verse. And the more we do that, the Holy Spirit brings those things to mind. And that's the slow work of Christ-likeness. So another uh, aspect that you brought up in your sermon was this idea of personal litigation. Um, So somebody taking you to court, and nowadays everybody's going to court about something. Everybody. Everybody. Sometimes class action lawsuits, lots of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so this doesn't not, not include Christians. Um, but if, if for Christians, uh, we're taken to court consistently, is it, is it wrong for Christians on the other hand to take other people to court? So is it wrong for Christians to take people to court? And we might think, uh, I, I think that's wrong because we might read passages like 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, which says... Oh, do you have it? Okay. I, I have it. Oh. I printed mm-hmm. it out. Very nice. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8 says, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them down before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that, uh, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? So the question again, Rick, is, is it wrong for Christians to take other people to court? Now this, I mean, obviously he's, he's speaking of brother taking brother to court. Right. Um, but is it wrong for Christians to take non-believers to court? Yeah. I mean, it could be and it could not be. It really depends on the circumstance because each case, literally each case is different. Um, You know, like you said, Paul's talking there about um, Christians who, you know, he's talking to the Corinthians. So these people were all part of the same regional church. Corinth was a big city. The church in Corinth may have been a multi-site church (laughs) with a number of house churches. And the average house church, um, you know, usually was at a more wealthy believer's home, and you could have a church of about 200 people. So you're talking a church comparable to the Sun Valley's size. Hmm. 
you know, in, in that context, when there was disputes between two believers who were both members of the same church, Paul's saying that is absolutely wrong. There, there are elders and even, even um, less mature believers who have an open Bible should be able to help two believers make peace with one another because Christ has made us one yeah. through the gospel yeah. in our union with him. So that should never happen. But there, there is a legal system for a reason, and that was not our idea. That was God's <clears throat> idea. Romans 13 says that, that government was instituted by God as ministers for our good. And part of the way that that works out is that they arbitrate between um, to, to seek justice, what is truly just in a given situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with an unbeliever, if they have done something truly unjust toward us it's not inherently wrong if if we've made every effort to be at peace with them and to try to settle this out of court and to just try to and again motive is key right you can have a just lawsuit that isn't sinful to have Mm -hmm. and yet go about it in a sinful way Mm -hmm. with vindictiveness bitterness vengeance whatever trying to get uh, just a ridiculous amount of money for a much less offense. That kind of thing is off the table yeah. for us as believers. But to seek true justice in a court of law, that's not, there's nothing unchristian about that. Um, oftentimes, injustice left unaddressed leads to more injustice. Hmm. And there's no, yeah, and that's, again, that's what God has instituted the government for, including the civil court system. So it depends on the case. Always take the motives into account. Um, probably seek the counsel of your elders. Yeah. In fact, definitely do that. Um, <laughs> because, you know, the heart's easily deceived, and we're always in favor of our own case. Um, and so it's really helpful to have godly believers helping you walk through that and to, to glorify God even in the way that you seek justice in court, yeah. if there's no other alternative. Yeah. So... What I found interesting in your sermon was this idea that the Romans had this authority over the Jews where they could they could uh, force uh, a Jewish man to carry a Roman soldier's backpack for a thousand pieces, I mm-hmm. think is yep. what you said. That's it. So that was a Roman mile. Roman mile. So here Jesus, Jesus addresses that idea. Um, he says, uh, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What what's Jesus getting at here for that that portion of the text that you preach from? We can use our Christian freedom to respond graciously when we are bound to do something we don't want to do. Right? So someone comes along and inconveniences you and presses you into service that you don't want to give. You have total freedom as a Christian to love them in response and go above and beyond what they're originally requesting you to do. And that would, that's something the world doesn't do mm-hmm. and often can open up an opportunity for um, gospel conversations. Yeah. So it's, it's an act of sacrifice. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, when he was talking about fasting, he, he once said that a Christian can turn a missed meal into a fast mm-hmm. by, bringing, uh, by offering this unexpected lack of food to the Lord with with thanksgiving and then hmm. turning to him in it. And we can turn these unsought after 
opportunities for service um, that we wouldn't have chosen into something that glorifies the Lord by doing it unto Him and really serving well, yeah, not just bare minimum. Yeah. So this is a great opportunity, and you mentioned this on Sunday just now. Um, this is a great way in which believers can actually minister the gospel to to unbelievers is, mm-hmm. is taking it a step further than what, what somebody is, is asking us to do. Oh yeah, for sure. And even among believers. Yeah. So, um, so I guess my question for you is at what point do we, um, move beyond the service to the person into the territory of, uh, somebody taking advantage of us as as Christians, knowing that we're yeah. going to go above beyond, and so they're going to continue to push that line to now they're just taking advantage of mm-hmm. somebody. Right. Yeah, because that, that line does get crossed. Um, people love to capitalize on other people. Yeah. And so this is an area where wisdom is needed. There isn't one-size-fits-all approach to that. Um and we need to, so we, we can pray about that, you know, because we can ask the Lord for the wisdom we need because he is the God who gives wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to we wanna evaluate when genuine love for someone in need becomes genuine harm that enables. Because there comes a point, like you said, where sometimes something that began with genuine love and genuine need becomes, um, it's, there's no longer a need, but there's an entitlement or there's an assumption or there's... Um, like for example, in counseling, one of my kind of my ways of evaluating when I'm going to quote fire someone from counseling is because, because counseling is, is, uh, you're giving someone a gift in counseling. You are putting yourself, you're involving yourself in a painful situation, um, in love for somebody else to help them. But, but sometimes I'll look at, okay. Has there become has it become a dynamic where I am now working harder than this person? Hmm. I'm I'm spending more time prepping for our meetings. I'm the one who's thinking through these things more than they are in between sessions. And am I by continuing with them actually enabling them to not change? Hmm. I think I need to to pull to bring it up, and then if that continues, say I'm going to have to be done here. And they may go, but I'm still hurting, or I'm still in need, or I still haven't, this isn't resolved. And I go, yeah, but it's not going to be resolved. I'm going to love you by refusing to be participating in this anymore. Hmm. Or if you're helping someone with a material need, and they're just uh, sipping on Kool-Aid, and you know, off to the side a little too much, and you realize, what am I doing here? They're perfectly able to do this. We've got into the situation where Paul is addressing idleness in in Thessalonica. And he says at the end of Second Thessalonians, you yourself know how we how you ought to imitate us because you were not idle or we were not idle when we were with you nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it but with toil and labor worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you it was not because we do not have that right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you we would give you this command if anyone is not willing to work let him not eat hmm. there have been situations where i've been helping out with somebody and i'll go above and beyond what they've asked and then some time passes and I realize that they've left something undone that I did before for them that they're perfectly able to do. Mm-hmm. And they just chose not to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm not really, I might do it a second time, but the third time I'm done. I'm just going to let that thing pile up because yeah. 
I'm not helping them to avoid what is their duty. So we have to evaluate with wisdom, with God's help, in light of the scriptures, when does helping start to hurt? And there's actually a book that I have not read, don't tell, um, called When Helping Hurts. I've heard it's very good. And it's that kind of idea, I think. Yeah. So kind of along the same lines, this this passage that you preached from the other day finishes with give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who could who would borrow from you and you gave some examples of what that means in your sermon but my question for you is what's the difference between giving freely and giving wisely um when it comes to yeah when it comes to not all sacrificial price. giving is wise giving Right, and there and there's a balance yeah. because we could go to the extreme and give everything, yeah. right? And and we might say, hey, well, that's you know the widow's might, right. you know, and right. she that was all she had to live on. Um, we need to bet. We need to. The word balance can sometimes be used in the church as an excuse to be half-hearted in our Christianity. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I need to balance time with my family you know, with church. And so we miss once a month because we're going camping or whatever the case may be. That's not biblical balance. God never gives us commands that he doesn't give us the opportunity to do all of them. Right. Okay. So we have, when it comes to money, we actually have some commands like one I just read. If a man will not work, he will not eat. We don't give to somebody who's lazy. Yeah. So whatever, however generous I may feel toward a person, if he's lazy and he's not willing to work, I, I'm actually, I can't, I don't really feel like I have the liberty to do that. But there is sacrificial giving where we give to the point where it hurts. Mm-hmm. That is commended in scripture as meeting genuine needs. Mm-hmm. But if I'm giving to the point where I can't feed my family, I'm violating a number of commands, including from that passage I just read, First Timothy five eight always comes to mind. Yeah. Um, whoever won't provide for the members of his own household is denied the faith. So however much I give, I can't threaten the calling God's placed on me to provide for my family. And I would include saving for the future in that. Hmm. And this also is an area of wisdom because people can hoard from faithlessness or they can save in faith, planning ahead for difficult days that are certainly coming because we keep passing multi-trillion dollar packages in Congress and all of a sudden our dollars are going to be worth nothing. Yeah. Like, (laughs) uh, you know what I'm saying? So we're commanded to give to God. Yeah. And so if we're giving to others and then unable to tithe, um, that's a problem. Yeah. We're commanded to be generous toward others. We're commanded to provide for our family. We're commanded to be wise and safe for the future so that, you know, when the rainy day comes, we aren't begging from others, you know? And of yeah. course, in all these things, God is sovereign. There's unforeseen circumstances and things and bad stuff happens to good people and we can't avoid that. Yeah. And yet we can do as much as we are able to honor all of the what the scriptures tell us about money, which comes down to loving God and loving others being generous to God, being generous to others, and being wise stewards of everything because God gives us all things freely to enjoy. Right. First Timothy 6. So I'd say that would be kind of in a snapshot. So if someone comes up to you um, and you say what you just said, Rick, in response with, well, are you, it seems like you're not trusting God. You're, you're trusting in your ability to um, save or prep or, you know, we should be giving 
X, Y, and Z and just trusting God that he's going to provide. Is that, is that a, a poor biblical perspective to think that way? To think to, in the idea of like, I'm going to give, I'm going to give above and beyond. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give freely because I'm trusting God that he's going to, you know, do this or he's going to provide. Or he's oh, going to do like it. almost to the point of recklessness. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't think that's biblical. Okay. And, and that's just me. I, I, but I don't think it is just me. I think when I look at all that Scripture commands us, we're never commanded to be foolish. Mm-hmm. You know, you have these examples of the Corinthians, I think, in, or maybe it's the Macedonians, giving above their, ne- above their ability. Right. And there are times for that. Um, but if, you, if you're always giving more than you can afford, soon you won't have anything to give at all, and then you're going to be on welfare. Sure. Which, you know, becomes a problem for the church, you know, in terms of what now your fellow believers are looking at your need. So we can have pious sounding foolishness walking around. We want to make sure that we're checking our hearts and being wise. Jesus says the poor you will always have with you. Okay, so whatever is going on in the days ahead, I know that there will be poor people around. One way that we can we we can actually plan to help, and so you can actually treat giving both in your month in your regular giving in the church and in generous giving. You can plan it hmm. and say this is this is the amount that we've predetermined in our heart to give to the Lord. We're also going to predetermine to set aside X number of dollars per month and set that aside for needs that arise that we don't even know. Yeah. And maybe it'll be a year before someone genuinely comes along with a need that you're in a position to meet. And now you've been putting aside X number of dollars per month to meet that need, and you're able to bless them without flinching because you've already planned that faithfulness. There's nothing wrong with planning faithfulness. Yeah. It's just, you know, that just seems wise to me. Yeah. So we'll finish with this question, and this wasn't a planned question, but... Um, finances are, are a sticky subject for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and when finances get in the way of relationships, usually the relationship crumbles. So what if somebody you, you give freely to somebody for whatever it may be, but they, they misuse their money and they do the exact opposite of what they said they were going to do with their finances. How, how do you respond in, in light of this retaliation passage, how do you respond graciously? Um, how do you, yeah, how do you respond to a situation like that? You mean like if they're asking again? That or they just, you you know what they spent their money on. Um, and, uh, you have every right to ask that question. Yeah. Say, so, hey, can you help me understand this? Um, I, I gave because you had this need and then you bought that magic set. Or whatever, you know, or that Muppet collection or I don't know, something yeah. stupid. Yeah. Um, I'm using hyperbole on stu- on the stupidity level here. Um, I'm confused about that because I feel that that was disingenuous toward me. Yeah. Because that person has wronged you by misspending what you gave for, you know. Sometimes you can get around that by not giving money to the person, but saying, where can I, can I call your electric company and pay that bill? Sure. Or whatever the case is. That sure. way they're not actually seeing the money. So you have a hundred percent guarantee it is not being misused. 
Sure. Right? Yeah. Which is why some people carry food cards, you know, grocery store cards, gift cards in their car in $5 increments instead of giving a $5 bill to someone on the street. Yeah. Yeah. So is there is there a way in which you can lovingly approach them? I mean, you, you brought it up, but like at what point do you take them to the mat and say, you know, you're you're wrong in what you're doing here? Um, if it's a pattern of chronic misuse in mis in mismanagement of God's resources as a brother or sister in Christ, um, that's you know, we would treat it like any other sin, I would think, any other chronic sin where we lovingly come and and help a brother along. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, if they come back and say, hey, I'm in this situa- situation again, it's almost required that we address it at that point. Yeah. Because, sorry, I can't, I'm not going there again with you. Yeah. And by the way, what were you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, these are good things to think about, I think. Yeah. These are life situations that come up. And that's what I love about the Sermon on the Mount is that, the, the the deep theology that Christ gives always works its way out into the details of life. Yeah, there's no crack crack or corner of the human heart that that grace doesn't just get right into. Yeah, all theology has implications. Yeah. to you know, I, my wife said the other day out out our fingertips. Mm. I think she might be quoting someone, but um, it's just true. Yeah, that's what our faith does. Yeah, Jesus is Lord of all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to next week as we work our way through loving our enemies. Loving your enemies. And I have loving Jeremy's enemies. I have a few enemies. Starting with the bear. There's there's one. Do you want my stick? One enemy in particular. No, I want bacon. <laughs> Church, we love you. I uh, hope this has been an encouraging podcast to you. We look forward to being with you next week on the Voice of Valley. Have a great day.